everybody, welcome to The Afterword, and happy Easter. I'm probably not the first person to say happy Easter to you, but I hope that you had a great Easter. I hope that you ate Reese's peanut butter eggs until you were physically ill. I hope that you went into a sugar-induced diabetic coma because of the deliciousness of those Reese's peanut butter eggs. I hope that you didn't eat any black licorice accidentally thinking it was grape. I hope that you avoided all of that. I hope you didn't have a single peep. And uh, you were able, able to avoid that that travesty of culinary taste. Uh, anyway, we're so glad you're here with us. We are here talking about Easter. I've got Jay Kim with us. And we're going to talk about Easter and just talk about um, some interesting aspects of Easter, both how we uh, started talking about it with our kids this year. Jay's kids are significantly younger than mine. Um, he's got a, a, a younger kids who are uh, Harper's seven and I think Simon's three and my kids are teenagers. So it's a little different. So we're talking about that. And then also kind of devotionally what Easter means for us, um, both personally and also um, for the church. So we're going to dive right in. I hope you had a great Easter and I hope that this conversation about Easter is encouraging to you. Let's dive right in. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. It's Easter. 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 Resurrection Sunday. It's unbelievable. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. And we did that. Christo Solare. Let's do it in Latin. <laughs> wow. Come on. It's impressive. You do something. You. What's the response? I don't know oh, it in geez. Latin. Come on, oh, I'm Jay. An, I'm an embarrassment. No, it's Fuller fine. Theological Seminary, which <laughs> gave me my education. I, I apologize. All right. So, um, first of all, um, you've got little kids. Yes. Young kids, young yeah, kids. Yeah. How did you talk to them about Easter? How do you talk to them about Easter? Because it's kind of a hard concept to understand. Yeah. Um. So I just wondered what. Uh, yeah. What, what kinds it's of so things? cool. Well, uh, our daughter turns seven in a uh, week. So our daughter's seven. Our son is three. Your daughter is seven, going on thirty. <laughs> <laughs> she's so advanced. She no, she's really not. She's a she's a great kid. Right. Um. But, uh, yeah, so it's been really cool. You know, our son, he's three, so he's still just kind of in the this is a fun story kind of stage going through the motions. So um, and that's wonderful, too. Uh, but we feel like our daughter is getting really close. Jenny and I were just talking about this recently. Big, big kudos to our kids ministry teams at all our campuses uh, over at South Hills, The Hunt you know, amazing, took our kids to that. Um, and then over at Saratoga campus every year before Easter, the week leading up to Easter, we do, or on Palm Sunday, we do an event called Walk with Jesus. Right. So we took our kids to that. and it Very interactive, very immersive. Very interactive. You just go from room to room, and each room is, like, set up. It's designed with actors and stuff yeah. to walk you through the Easter story. And who was Jesus? Was Dave Larson Jesus? Well, there was a rotation of Jesus. Oh, wait, there's multiple Jesus. It was basically every staff person with and a beard. key leader with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave Profio, Dave Larson, oh. JP, our uh, oh, yeah. uh, technical fun. director. Um, yeah. So, if you have, by the way, if you're out there and you want to serve next year at Easter and you got a beard, uh, just uh, just email us. We'll Angel you... Ayala, who's oh, a junior yeah, high director yeah, 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 over at uh, Saratoga campus. He was uh, there. Yeah, many Jesuses with wonderful beards but we went through with our daughter and afterwards you know we were having some 
debriefing follow-up conversations and i felt like she was really close to getting it you know we were asking her questions okay so and it was all based on the content we got during walk with jesus as a family it was like okay why did they call jesus the lamb of god and she talked a little bit about passover and during walk with jesus we were able to eat a little bit of lamb like wow. uh, shredded lamb and um they didn't kill like, the lamb in the room did they no we did yeah that, the that, children had to kill the lamb right, with a knife really intense and very <laughs> no. very experiential <laughs> Uh, so now no, hold but, it as the blood drains yeah exactly oh dear heaven so yeah she she started talking about sin and we asked her what is sin and and then why did jesus have to die for our sins all this stuff so um with our daughter yeah early on even as recently as last year we felt like we were explaining the story we, we felt like we were more just telling the story mm-hmm. and she was conceptualizing it probably a little bit more along the lines of um, maybe not quite like her Disney princess books, but maybe a little bit more like historical, yeah. but like history books we would read. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, this is something that happened a long time ago, I guess. It's an interesting story. I like the pictures, but it's detached from my real life. And it f- felt like this year for the first time, this Easter, um, something's changing, you know? So That's really cool. So I, my answer to that question, how do we tell the story, I think for our daughter, my answer is I don't really have an answer because I think we're in a transitional period, which is really exciting, where the story is coming alive for the first time to her in a way that she realizes this is a story, one, that is true. It's a true story. And two, it's a story that is a part of her story, you know? And as I think about that, I, I realize... That's certainly my prayer for my children, but it's also my prayer just for every person. You know, like yeah. you don't have to be a child to experience that transition. Yeah. You know, often as adults, you know, when people come to know Jesus for the first time, it's really a very similar thing happening. This is a story I heard once. Um, and maybe, you know, for the atheist, they thought this is a sort of childish fantasy story, you know? Yeah, uh, but then something changes, and you realize, no, this is a true story, and it's actually a story that involves me. It's my story. Yeah, you know that's Easter, and uh, so I feel like we're in that transition with our kids, which is really exciting. At least with our daughter, which is really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I love I love kids stuff. I I had a I saw this thing. Uh, a friend of mine sent it to me. They have a children's church at their um their church. It, the kids all come down. Oh, the cool. pastor yeah. kind of gives them a quick little message, and yep. and then they go to their kids' rooms, right? Yep. And uh, she was saying that uh, the pastor started talking about Palm Sunday and how there was people who were angry at Jesus, right? Yeah. That 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 weren't they wanted to try to hurt him. Mm. And this little girl, she's like four or five. She's like speaks up. She goes, "I'm scared. I'm scared for Jesus." Mm. Yeah. And uh, her little friend turns to her and goes, "It's okay. I've heard this one before. He comes back." Oh, that's so good. It's just so great, that's and it so just good. filled my heart with yeah. that. Yeah, it's okay. He comes back. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, it's so great. Um, okay, so to get into that, I also wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the edges of this Easter message. Um, Easter is a time of celebration of a gift. You know, you know, obviously, Good Friday we sit and we really reflect in gratitude, right? And the magnitude. Try to take in, try to drink in as much as we can the magnitude of this. It's in a very emotional. Good Fridays are always yeah. deeply emotional, and it's it just it's a revelation of God's love. And often Easter is just like this fun celebration, right? It's like, oh, look, everyone puts on their Easter dresses. Mm. It's really cute. 
But um, I was thinking this year, especially I've got teenagers, right? Yeah. And um, I was thinking this year about how as you get older, beyond just the joy and the celebration, of which of course is true. Yeah. Um, there's some edges to Easter. And the edges, I was trying to think about how to talk about it. And it reminded me of, I think it was actually literally the thickest book I read in seminary. It, uh, it was very difficult to read, uh, and I'm going to try to condense it in two sentences, which is, does it, it was a, a book called Paul and the Gift by oh, John yeah. Barclay. Barclay. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, it won there's book a much of, thinner version of it. If anyone's interested, oh, there is, I think it's called, it's a non-academic. Yeah. 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 It's the, it's the general trade yeah. version of, yeah. So the, the, anyway, the point of it, what it is, he's a scholar in um, kind of ancient history yep. in the Near East, especially around the time of Jesus yeah. in the temple period, they call it. And uh, he basically was trying to say, look, the way that Middle Easterners talk about gifts is very, very different than the way that modern people talk about gifts. Right. We think of gifts primarily- well, modern Western people. Modern Western people. In the global East and the global South, it's still yes. reciprocal. Yeah. Right. So, and one of the ideas he talked about is how gifts operated in the ancient world. Yeah. And uh, he talked about like ways that they talked about gifts or ways that gifts were viewed. And uh, he said, you know, there's six basic ways that they could be viewed. One was a, a gift could be perfect or um, viewed as perfect if it was super abundant, meaning it never ran out. Like a lifetime supply of Cheez-Its, you know. <laughs> just what on. a gift. What a gift. <laughs> Singularity was um, if the gift giver only gave gifts, right? That would be mm. perfect. Third, priority, if you gave a gift to somebody before they could do anything to earn it. And he says, this is like parents, right? Parents always love and give their children things before their kids could ever earn or deserve right. it, right? Incongruity, which is when you give somebody a gift that they don't deserve, sure. right? Um, so like Les Mis, when Jean Valjean is given the gift of freedom by Bishop Bienvenu, he gives him the candlesticks. That's kind of a famous is story. That Hugh, is that Hugh Jackman? Yeah. Well, okay. it, it could be, if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's lots of stories. I'm not a big Les Mis fan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, shame well, fine. on me. Sorry. Oh, no, it's... It, but the idea of incongruity is you give a gift to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Yeah, right? totally. Or you give your, like, if you gave your estate to a slave, right, a right. servant, not your yeah, son. Yeah, it's right? incongruous, yeah. Non-circularity, you give somebody a gift without the expectation of a return. Mm. But I want to focus on the last one, which is what he called efficacious. Mm. His whole point was that there are gifts which were given in the ancient world, which were meant to accomplish a certain goal. And that oh, goal yeah. was to cement the relationship mm. and cement... This kind of thing. For example, like uh, when I was a teacher at Gunderson High School, we used to give uh, student of the year. Mm. Um, now, this wouldn't make any sense for an incongruous gift. You wouldn't give student of the year in the Department of English to a kid who hated English sure. and did terrible at it. Right. The goal of the award is to to say you're gifted at this. Yep. It's to cement the student's relationship with the teacher and the department and to say you're really good at this. And we think you can use your gift in this to bring something beautiful into the world, right? Yeah. So student of the year. Or like um, another efficacious gift is a wedding ring. You give a wedding ring for the point of saying, I want us to continue on, right? right? It would be a violation of the gift for Jenny to just, or Nicole to take the, the ring to a pawn shop and say, sweet, right. now I've got a couple thousand bucks. <laughs> that's that's absurd, right? Yeah. Or even like a father giving the business to his son. Why does he give the family business to his son? It's not just like, hey, it's like, hey, we're going to do this together. We both yeah. love this thing. Or carry on the... We're going to carry yeah, on yeah. this fun, and we're yeah. going to get to do it together, right? Right. And I've been thinking a lot about how Easter as a gift is, I mean, yes, it's incongruous, 
Yeah. It does, is not what we deserve for God to give us what, you know, we, and Paul's language is, is real clear on this. Um, it's also prior. It's before we could do anything to yeah. earn it. Like we weren't even literally born yet. Jesus is dying. It, it's, it's abundant. It never runs out. Yeah. His mercies are new every morning. But I've been thinking a lot about efficacious a yeah. lot because some gifts are so good. They demand a response. Yeah. And so in the middle of this, it does seem as though Easter does demand a response from us. Yeah. Um, and so how, and, and even as we're preparing for this, you and I both read that Esau Macaulay New York times article yeah. uh, from last year where he writes about kind of the burden of hope yeah. and how it requires us. Now these women were, we were shown the empty tomb. Yeah. They went to grieve and they were shown the empty tomb. They were given the gift of hope, but now they have to go live in the world that just killed Jesus. Yeah, they have to carry the news back to the world that right. he essentially, I'm paraphrasing him, that th- this is a God who brings dead things to life. Right. He and calls it the terrifying reality of Easter. Right. So let's, uh, when you read that, when you heard that, did you, uh, do you think of Easter as a thing that actually is like this kind demands this kind of response from us? Yeah, I do. And I think that it becomes more undeniable the more deeply the Easter story per our, you know, sort of introductory conversation about the story becoming true and then the story realizing that the story is your story or your story is is bound up in the Easter story. The more that becomes a reality, um, the more undeniable it becomes that the story demands a response. It demands a sort of uh, carrying on of the story. You know, I like that imagery of the family business, so to speak. Um, Yeah, it demands a sort of carrying on of the story. And it's hard to quantify in a contract, you know? Yeah. Again, the family business model or that that, uh, imagery is really helpful if, uh, you know, if a father owned... um, a butcher shop for, you know, for decades. And he had received that business from his father and he trains his young sons and his young daughters to sort of run that butcher shop, you know, as they're growing up, you know, working there on weekends and learning to uh, learn how to do all the cuts and um, package things the right way and market the business. And, Mm -hmm. It, sta- it establishes itself as this little, you know, the go-to butcher shop in this little town. And that father gives the business to the children, let's say. Well, yeah, there's a there's a contract involved, I'm sure, and some paperwork and stuff for tax purposes or whatever. But that's not really what binds those kids to to owning and operating and upholding the quality of that of that business. It's actually bound up in their family name. The relationship too. Relationship, you know, it's relational. This was my father's and it was my grandfather's before him. And, um, you know, that's why family businesses that sustain for a very long time, they're always sort of moving when you hear the story, you know, in its simplicity. Yeah. So, you know, that metaphor, that imagery doesn't map on perfectly to Easter, but it's something like that. I think that once we really realize, Oh, the Easter story is not, 
um, an ancient story that some people in some parts of the world happen to believe to be true. Once the Easter story becomes a part of my story, once I realize that Christ came, lived, died, was buried, and came back to life on Resurrection Sunday to change the human story, and my story is bound up in that story, and my eternity is forever changed because of that, then it almost becomes like the family business. It's like, oh, of course, I'm going to do everything I can to share this story, to uphold this story, to embody the story right. um, with pride and joy, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I think it demands something of us, but not demanding in the way that a tyrannical boss at work right. is demanding, you know, because I give you a paycheck every two weeks, you must do X, Y, and Z. It's much more like the family business. Right. It's like Is oh, demand the wrong word? Well, I don't think it's the wrong word. I mean, I think... But we want to make sure that we're not misunderstood. Yeah, 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 exactly. We don't mean demand like... In the same way that a wedding ring demands a response. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not demands. Like, hey, I bought this for you. You better say yes. You know how much this thing cost? (laughs) I mean, that's just the wrong way to even view it. That's the wrong framework. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I do think demand is the right word, as long as we're using it in in, in the correct sort of semantic. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, be, the reason why this is so important to me is because sometimes, sometimes, um, I've heard the, Chris, the the Easter story told in a way that it's like, here's what Jesus did, and then that's the end of it. Right. And and it's like, um, like almost like a, a passport. Yeah. Now now you get eternal life. And then you go to brunch. And then you go to brunch, and and, and uh, yeah. it it's it, it feels very. But the actual story, I was struck this year by the terror that the women left the tomb with in, in Mark's account, yeah. in Mark 16. And then Matthew kind of fills in a, a little bit of the, the edges of the story. Um, it said they were terrified, and they and, and in Mark it says they told no one, and they start walking away. And then Jesus appears to them in Matthew's story and says, Hey, ladies. And I let, he just shows up and says, Greetings. Yeah, <laughs> it's <yeah>. like, yo, yo. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. They bow down. They clasp his feet. They worship at his feet. Yep. And then he says, Hey, go and tell... Go and tell uh, Go and tell my brothers. Right. Go and tell. I, I love that. He says, my brothers. Yep. Ah, oh, I mean, doesn't that just, that just moves me so much. Yeah. Go and tell my brothers. Yeah. Go and tell. And then he, he even signals that. And Peter. Go yeah. and tell Peter. Right. Specifically. Uh, specifically. Uh, and then they're going to continue to tell the story. Yep. Uh, for me, that, uh, how, I think what it does is it reminds me, this would have changed everything for them. Yeah. Every single bit of DNA in their in their in their inner body every single bit of their life trajectory now completely different yeah and the radicalness of that really it, they would have not just been uh, caught up in the story they would have been swept away like a tsunami of grace you know there's yeah. just no you just don't go back well yeah i mean everything about your paradigm changes when you realize that a dead man came back to life <laughs> so yeah you because in the ancient world, that didn't tend to happen. I don't know if people know that. In the ancient world, people who died yeah. tended to stay dead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think something in in sort of modern evangelicalism, we don't spend a lot of time in the Christian, the, the traditional Christian calendar. And I'm not knocking that. You know, there's reasons for that. But uh, one of the one of the drawbacks of that is we often lose sense of the entirety of the story. So 
Jesus's resurrection is actually not the end of the gospel narratives. <laughs> the gospel narratives end with his ascension. Yeah. And they're connected. Yeah. So traditionally, and we don't celebrate Ascension Sunday. As, we don't. As, uh, most yeah. American evangelicals. And this is not like some sort of commitment that we're going to. No, no, no. But but uh, the four things that were always talked about is the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. Yeah. And we kind of leave off four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I think the ascension matters in a number of ways. But to your point, you know, Jesus comes back from the dead, but then he leaves. But he doesn't just leave. He ascends, which is... Uh, in the ancient world, the 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 literal words they use to describe that scene, it's enthronement language. Yes, God, uh, Jesus is being enthroned as now the King of the world, universe, who is conquered. Yeah, it's enthronement language they would have used to describe the enthronement of the Roman emperor. So, and that would happen in connection to the Roman emperor's rule and reign over an empire that he or his predecessor had conquered. So as Jesus is enthroned, his ascension, it by definition means he has conquered something. And what he has conquered is sin and death. He hasn't conquered land and empire, which is like a very human way to think about it because humans are temporal. Yeah. So we know that we can't conquer death. We know like every emperor in Rome's history died. And so what they did was they conquered what they could, which is the temporary stuff, like literally land and people right. and things and buildings and art and food and culture and yeah. space, geographic space. Right. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. He ascends not to a throne on earth, but into the heavens to the right hand of God the Father, meaning he rules and reigns over the whole thing. And the enemy he has defeated is sin and death. And and death, I mean, like, d- death. So Christian or not, everyone knows they're going to die. And the Christian story is that, oh, but there's a king who's conquered that enemy. So, yes, my, my body will die someday, but in that king's new kingdom, mm-hmm. my body will come back to life. Mm-hmm. That sounds so crazy even coming out of my mouth because it sounds so pre-scientific, archaic, barbaric, but... Something I, I'm like a broken record, something I say all the time is you don't have to be a Christian. You have to be a Christian. Only Christians believe what I just said, but every human on the planet longs for what yeah. I just said. Yeah. You know, yeah. and C.S. Lewis has that great line. If there is a long, I'm paraphrasing him, if there's a longing in your soul that this earth cannot satisfy, this world cannot satisfy, it may very well mean your soul is meant for a for a different place. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's really good. So the ascension, how does the ascension change the way we live? Or how does the ascension make demands on us? Yeah, we live, followers of Jesus, live as citizens of his kingdom, as kingdom people. Embodying his values. That's right. Living out what he wants done. Which stands, His will be done on earth as it is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which stands in total opposition to American autonomy and individualism. And I don't, I don't mean, I'm not knocking... You know, like I'm proud to be an American. I'm grateful I live For in this For at least country. I know I'm free. <laughs> but what I'm saying is our culture, yeah. our country, our it national drifts. culture it drifts toward that. and Western culture as a whole has a tendency to move toward in- individual autonomy. Yeah. Like I am the ruler of my own domain. And yeah. it's just not true. It's not just drift. I use the word drift. 
I would say it's more like a flooded Mississippi River. It it speeds us toward yeah. that. I mean, yeah. every single direction seems to go toward that. Yeah. yeah. We're so accustomed to telling each other, don't you tell me what to do, that if we're not careful, we find ourselves telling Jesus our king, don't you tell me what to do. Oh. And that's problematic. Oh, oh man. You know. So. We're going to pause there for a second. <laughs> that was convicting. <laughs> <laughs> it's convicting for me. I know yeah. it's true in my life. Yeah. So. yeah. Final thoughts on Easter uh, 2022 as we kind of wrap this up and, and head to the next season. Yeah. Uh, which we're excited about. Um, what any, any final final thoughts? Just grateful. Really grateful for uh, the sacrifice of Christ and resurrection power. And even on on you know, those really difficult dark days where sometimes I doubt and sometimes I'm like, I don't, is it, you know? Mm. Um, I'm just really grateful that God by his spirit has a way of buoying me and you and people like us who follow him, you know, with the incredible hope that literally not even death can can um, stop this incredible story from from reaching its final end. And uh, grateful for our church, you know, just really grateful for, I mean, grateful for the church at large, but I believe very much in the local church. So I'm really grateful in our local church, this yeah. family of congregations all over Silicon Valley, just kind of trying to follow, you know, Jesus as faithfully as we can uh, and all over the spectrum of faith for sure. But um, such a cool celebration to be together and, yeah. I, I'm really grateful this year in ways that I don't think I could have been before to be together. Mm, yeah. Um, right. Man. Yes. Oh man. It, it, it's, um, it's, it's like water, fresh water to my soul yeah. because, um, one of the things I also kept seeing again and again in the gospel narratives, the women see at the tomb and then what did they do? They run back and tell. Yeah. And then what are the, the boys, they run, they, tr- and then they come back. It feels like this giant communally transformative yeah. caught up in the story. And, uh, Man, I've never been so keenly aware of how much I need to be connected and yeah. how much I want to be connected, how grateful I am for these little tiny families of faith right. that I get to be a part of. And yeah. so I'm man, it's well cuz it's it's a it's a thing. We're all in this together. And even worshiping on Easter, it's like the sound of my own voice. I mean, it's obviously incredible. I'm an amazing <laughs> vocalist. That's not what moves me, man. To to see people around me that I love and know, yeah, like that I know their the story. Voices. Oh my yeah. gosh! Oh, agreed. It does something so big in me, and yes. I'm just so so grateful for it. So, yep. man, awesome. love it. Well, Jay, happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter, everyone. Yeah, I hope that you have a. Uh, I hope that you you uh, can maybe not eat too many Reese's peanut butter eggs. <laughs> uh, no promises. No promises from me either. All right. Well, thanks. See you guys. We'll see you soon. Just want to say thanks to Jay for stopping by. Jay, thanks. And happy Easter to everyone again. We'll see you next week when we start a brand new sermon series called The Wise Life, in which we examine wisdom and the biblical idea of wisdom, what it is and how we can get it to live a life with better decisions and fewer regrets. Okay, we'll see you next week.